You're listening to the Screeners Podcast Network. From the big screen to the small screen and everything in between, this is the Screeners Podcast, where all media is appreciated, but none is safe. Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Screeners Podcast. This is Chad. I'm Daniel. And I'm April. And yes, that's right, folks. That is Josh. Josh is joining us tonight for uh, the recording. Woo. He's back. It's shocking. Uh, I don't know why I'm here, but I'm it here. Is. We, we didn't it even only, have to convince him to see the movie. That's right. It was his pure love of all things Tarantino yes. that brought him back. But I'm sure we'll yep. get to that later. Uh, I've also been out for the last two or three shows, so I'm happy to be back, especially to talk about this film in particular. We're going to be reviewing Tarantino's ninth film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but we also have ninth, lots of ninth other... Ninth is th- in quotes there, for sure. Uh, true, true, true. But we have a packed show, lots of things we're going to talk about, but before we jump into it, let me remind everyone to follow us on our social channels. On Facebook, search for The Screeners Podcast. On Twitter, you can find us at ScreenersCast, and if you'd like to send us an email, you can do so, ScreenersCast at gmail.com. So with that out of the way, let's go to Jump Cuts. Yeah, so big news this week in the movie-watching world. Uh, All of us, I think, are fully aware of the uh, quick rise to fame and then crash of MoviePass. So Regal has just announced this week that they are doing their own unlimited movie plan. Uh, they have three different plans. One starts at $18 a month, uh, $21, and then $23.50 per month uh, for all 2D movies, so not IMAX or 3D or anything, but it's unlimited for the month or the whole year, I guess. Yeah, what do you guys think about that? Success? Not success? Good idea? Bad idea? Thoughts? Well, we definitely documented our, our movie pass woes uh, <laughs> and, and our experience with AMC A-List. We talked a lot about that last year. It, mm-hmm. uh, it's funny that this is announced this week because about three days ago was the epic demise of movie pass. It was the anniversary, the one-year anniversary of the epic demise of movie pass. Um, You've got that yeah. on your calendar, don't wow. you? <laughs> no, it, time hop. <laughs> time hop reminded me because I was – uh, venting on social media, so it was it was a nice reminder of uh, how terrible that company turned out to be. <laughs> it was, and I, you know, it's also a reminder. I I bought like forty eight hundred shares of the parent company stock. Did you? Oh. Uh, I did. <laughs> Listen, Man. hey, everybody, calm down. It cost me like hundred and fifty bucks. So I was like, hey, it's worth the shot. But guess what? It was not worth the shot. Mm. Sorry. Uh, well, yeah. So I I like I documented kind of on the podcast last fall Uh, i'm still with amc a list and so i've been actually eagerly awaiting this plan from regal i'm actually surprised it took them this long because cinemark also has their own plan that's that's been out for quite a while Hmm. honestly looking at the plans it seems like it really just comes down to your region right like Mm -hmm. what theaters are available what movies do you normally go to um you know ticket prices in your area stuff like that like for me uh, I, I have all the options available, kind of. I have I have one nice AMC near me and another one across town with, like, Dolby Cinema and all that stuff. Um, and then I also have plenty of Regals near me. They're just not quite as nice, but they do show the indie movies um, that, mm. I, that AMC doesn't show me. So it's kind of like a toss-up for me. I'm really trying to figure out what I want to do. There are d- definitely downsides to Regals' plan. Um, it, it, yeah, it's $18, $21, or $23. I'd have to do the 21 plan uh here in vegas but also they charge a 50 cent convenience fee 
for any online ticket purchases, which is yeah. unbelievably Ooh. ridiculous. Bad I, karma. That yeah. is that is the dumbest thing I could imagine. Why would you charge me a monthly fee and also fifty cents per movie? I mean, yeah. that is that's ridiculous. So that's the biggest thing that's that's putting me off right now. Along with the year long commitment, you have to make a year commitment. Um, so right. that kind of well, don't they also oh, wow. they also have a, a surcharge if you want to do something other than just the pl- the standard two D viewing? Right. So that if you want to do as much, but yeah, that well, is true. I mean, if you if you want to do the premium two D, whether that be something in IMAX or whatever, there's mm-hmm. more of a charge, and that's kind of annoying because that's yeah. one of the beauties of AMC is that it, it's for all the screenings, premium three D, whatever you want right. for that yeah. same price. I guess the flip side with this one though is it's truly unlimited, mm-hmm. meaning you can see as many as you want multiple viewings all that but for right. me that's uh, that surcharge uh, for the premium screening plus 50 cents is is a no-go primarily though i'm in the same quantity that you're in daniel i don't have any good regals around me the closest one is about 50 minutes away in same. knoxville but for four months out of the year essentially once we get august september mm-hmm. to the end of the year if i want to see any of the awards films, mm. I have to go to that Regal. Right. So if there was a if there was a way where I could do just four months, it would be worth right. it. But the whole year commitment yeah. is it it's a no go. That's what I'm trying to do the math of like how much am I going to spend going to that Regal for just the Oscar movies versus yeah. what I can right. see in AMC because it's really a toss up. Overall, it seems like again it all depends on your region. But if you yeah. have both AMC and Regal available to you like I do, it's it. It seems like AMC is overall a better deal. Um, It's Mm going to end up being cheaper, even if it's just a couple dollars cheaper. um, That'll that'll factor in. But also, Regal does have the 10% off concessions if you join their plan, which is that's nice. It's something. They also do do free large popcorn and soft drink on your birthday. Hey now. And the one the one good thing about Regal as opposed to the AMC um, A list is with the A list you cannot use your Stubbs card whenever you go to the movies. Like it doesn't you don't accumulate your points. But with Regal it actually you still get credits when you see a movie. That is uh, with your Crown Club. Yeah. So you still get build up rewards that way, but um, but I don't like you wouldn't care about a free movie reward when you're already seeing unlimited. True and and with AMC though you do you can use your stubs list for concessions and right, those do yeah. eventually eventually pay off so and it's a free upgrade to a large yeah. which the sizes now are so insane the large it would take you 6 weeks to drink that thing yeah. the, <laughs> the time, size of the cups are so stupid every single time it's, they yeah. ask me for popcorn or drink if i want the upsize i'm like no cuz then i'll actually drink it and i don't i don't want that the, yeah. the, the small exactly. is enormous it's, it's enormous and the popcorn's out of control as well yeah, but yeah. You know, what are you going to do? So, yeah, for me, I, I don't know. If I could try this out for a month, I 100% would try it um, because I really want to know how, how bothersome it is. You know, would it be a big deal to buy my tickets at the box office versus online like an animal? Um, but uh, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm really I'm thinking about it just because of the Oscar movies. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I might stick with AMC. I, I don't know. Josh, what about you? Are you are you just itching to get your hands on a movie <laughs> subscription service? Yeah, I was, I was going to remind you that I'm still here, but I have nothing to add to this. Other than my first job was at a Regal Theater, so oh. go Regal. Oh, wow. Go Regal. Wow. Yeah. I'm going with Regal yeah. Unlimited now. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad I could glad I could help. No, I have, I have no use for this other than to say the movie subscription plans are starting to look like uh, cord cutter streaming options. You yeah, must buy them all. That's actually a good comparison. 
There's yeah. nothing that unifies anything anymore, and it's... It's what you millennials wanted. You wanted <laughs> all things to be broken apart so you could choose what you want, and now you got it. So there you go. Now You're you welcome. just have to pay for everything. So You're Gen you X. That. You sit on the sidelines and watch the world burn. Enjoy. That's it. <laughs> I do. I enjoy it. Give me a cigar. It's I all stole I that from SNL. You're welcome. So, so uh, we, these, these plans are kind of, uh, you know, hit or miss. It's, it's kind of like... I don't know. They're they're about even, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. But I think what we can all agree on is that Cinemark's plan is a joke. Uh, so I don't go. even know what their plan I is. I don't have a it. Cinemark us, near, near me. Near C- me. Cinemark's so. plan is literally you get one movie ticket per month. One. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> awesome. How much uh, does it cost? For, for nine ninety nine a month. Sign me up. <laughs> Sign me up. Is not like the price of a ticket? <laughs> yes. And then <laughs> each consecutive ticket is only nine ninety nine or less. So you won't pay more than nine ninety nine for extra tickets, but that's not quite well, the same <laughs> now, is it? Yeah, that's, <laughs> so that's uh, too much math. What, what do they call this stupid. plan? I I don't I don't remember. Uh, like Cinemark Movie Club, I think is what it's called. So like now my parents yeah. have that, but that's only because they have literally one theater near them. They live in a Redding, California, a small small town, and that's the only theater. So for them, hey, they won't pay more than ten bucks a movie ticket, but uh, unless that's your only theater option, that is that's uh, no good. No that's good. pretty terrible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you like live in New York and tickets are thirteen dollars or whatever they are in New York, it's then at get, least a get discount. AMC, but get AMC a yeah, or Regal. get a real plan. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up our discussion on Regal. So why don't now we talk about what we're all here for? Once upon a time in Hollywood. <laughs> I'm Rick Dalton. It's my pleasure, Mr. Schwartz. Call me Marvin. Put it there. That your son? No, it's my stunt double, Cliff Booth. Last night, we watched a Rick Dalton double feature. <laughs> All the shooting. <laughs> I love that stuff, you know, with the killing. A lot of killing. Anybody order fried sauerkraut? And that was from the trailer of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino's latest film. It's no secret on the podcast that there are some of us who absolutely adore the work of Quentin Tarantino. Others, Josh, that don't like it quite as much. So I am actually thrilled that Josh is on this review so that we can talk about this latest work. Uh, The IMB description reads... A faded television actor and his stunt double strive to achieve fame and success in the film industry during the final years of Hollywood's golden age in 1969, Los Angeles. This film has been labeled the Manson movie from Tarantino ever since it was first announced and production began, but I don't know that that's accurate. And so what I'd like to do very briefly, because we're going to dive into our top three Tarantino films later, is if I could just get kind of a brief idea of what you think about Tarantino. Tarantino's work overall and then jump into your thoughts on this film so April Hmm. I have no idea what you think about Tarantino in general so let's start with you okay well I am a kind of a late bloomer Tarantino fan Um, Mm -hmm. I really didn't start watching his films until probably gosh I don't even know five six inglorious bastards was like my introduction to Tarantino and then I went back and would watch some of his older stuff so I'm like late bloomer for sure but I love inglorious bastards Django Unchained Um, I enjoyed the hateful eight it wasn't my favorite but it was good 
Um, and then some of his older stuff, uh, I liked, wouldn't say loved. Um, but yeah, so I, I would say I'm a Tarantino fan. Like anytime he would do a new film, I want to see it. It's on my list. Uh, but I would not say I'm the biggest Tarantino fan. Gotcha. So yeah, so this film, I I really had no idea what to expect because the trailer really didn't give a lot of information. I knew Charles Manson was involved somehow because Sharon Tate was in the film. This one was an interesting film for me. It, it was not what I expected at all. It was a little more, uh, for most of the movie, much tamer um, for Tarantino, uh, it seemed. I don't know. I wish Chris was here because literally when I walked away, I thought that movie was like a series of scenes, which is what he called Infinity War. But anyway, so first of all, there were brilliant moments in this film. There were some scenes in this film that I just thought were so well done, like almost perfect cinema filmmaking. Uh, All of Brad Pitt's scenes, I just adored. They were just great acting wise. Phenomenal. Leonardo DiCaprio was great as well. I felt like there were moments in this film where he really drove home the same message over and over again. I thought it was a little long. There were moments that it just it just dragged a little bit, in my opinion. I don't know if y'all felt the same way, but um, it was just weird because it didn't feel like there was an actual plot. It was just kind of like a glimpse into these two guys' life, which was fascinating and it was very interesting. But as far as like a through story, it really didn't come to a head until the very end. Um, And then it went like full out Tarantino, which was great. But yeah, I I would say overall, I still enjoyed the film, but I kind of left kind of a little bit confused as to what the overall message was and maybe y'all what got, he was trying to say yeah okay. maybe you got more out of it than i did I, I i enjoyed it i think people should watch it if they like tarantino because there's definitely some brilliant brilliant things in here um but it was not my favorite tarantino film okay so not your favorite sort of a uh, a mixed bag but overall positive daniel let's go to you what's your thoughts on tarantino in general and this movie yeah, uh, I my history with Tarantino is, is kind of similar to April, just by sheer fact of age, um, aged into Tarantino. Uh, so Inglorious Bastards was kind of the first one to come out when I was old enough to watch and appreciate Tarantino. And so, um, so that was, I, I think that was probably the first Tarantino. I don't actually remember, but I think that was probably the first Tarantino I watched. Um, certainly the first one I saw in theaters. And then, and then of course, went back through his filmography. And yeah, I love Tarantino. Um, I, I'll, obviously, we'll dig into our... I'll dig into my favorite films when we do our top three. But I, yeah, I really love Tarantino. Obviously, he's got this... He's got such a defined style, right? We're, we're 10 mm-hmm. films, even though he wants you to think we're nine films. This is his 10th film. Kill Bill is... Two movies. You had to buy two movie tickets and credits roll twice. It's two movies. So uh, this is his tenth film, and uh, so and he's retired, right? That's apparently yeah. Well, that's why he calls it his ninth film because he's like, oh no, not yet. I don't want to. Re- have he's making self- more than ten. Give me a break. I don't have want to ta- have this self-imposed retirement yet. Um, anyway, so obviously he's got this well-defined style. Plenty of violence, irreverent humor, homages to classic film, all that stuff. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, more than any of his films so far, is it's all about these homages to this era of film, right? Mm-hmm. It's also, like like April said, it's largely plotless. It's more, or more about just hanging out, existing in this world of famous real-life actors talking about their movies and, and uh, the struggle of fictional actors getting older. Also, the rise of free love and hippie kind of thing, and and yes, the Manson family, all of that. 
Um, but it is just plotless. It's just hanging out in that world for the most part. And um, that was actually unexpected. I didn't realize that's what this movie was. And so it kind of caught me off guard. But something else caught me more off guard. And that's how reserved this film is, especially for Tarantino. It's mm. surprisingly charming and kind of pretty chill overall with a couple clear exceptions towards the end that we'll get into. But um, it's, it's made with such obvious love just for film. Especially this era of Hollywood, where the new and the the old and the new eras were kind of beginning to merge and conflict, and so it's really ambitious, and the ambition pays off really well. These these sorts of vignettes uh, are recreated so perfectly, just of different styles of film and and kind of meeting running into these famous actors, and so um, the, the vignettes are great, and the movie is really really funny. As a whole, like like most Tarantino movies, it's just not the sort of film we get nowadays. It's it's very unique and kind of stands alone. But even among Tarantino's own filmography, it kind of feels unique. Um, I would say this is probably the least Tarantino Tarantino movie since uh, probably Jackie Brown. Um, but it still has his stamp on it. And um, DiCaprio and Pitt are phenomenal. Uh, they both lead this movie with wildly different characters, and it's so great to just hang out and spend time with them, especially Pitt. I think, uh, mm-hmm. like April said, every every time he's on screen, it's it's phenomenal. His character's awesome. And so, um, yeah, I really enjoyed spending time with these characters. The movie covers so much ground. It's more than two and a half hours long. And because it's mostly plotless, it kind of works, actually, you know, because it kind of it, it meanders a bit but it's mostly just spending time with these characters. So so you kind of, even though it was long, I enjoyed that. Even though I would say there's a solid half hour that could be cut out of this movie and you would never even know it was gone. Yes. Um, but it's still fun to hang out for all this time. So there's so much to talk about here because there's so much in this movie and we'll definitely dive into the end of, fil- uh, end of the film, which I really want to talk about. We'll dive into that in spoilers. But um, uh, well, I fully expected the ending to a certain extent, um, the way this movie ends is really surprisingly sweet and lovely and emotional, actually, kind of. And so, yeah, overall, I just, I really loved it a lot. It was not what I expected. And uh, I, I, yeah, I just really, really enjoyed Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. All right. So a, a much stronger positive review from Daniel, which takes us now to Josh. So Josh, uh, I think we've talked about it in the past, but for those that are uh, hearing you for the first time and just as a refresher, give us your overall take on Tarantino and then what you thought specifically of this film. And I do not, I do not know where to start. I was like, I, I felt like I was in a courtroom just then, like a prosecutor just frantically jotting down notes of what, <laughs> what I'm going to say in rebuttal to all oh, of that, boy. that stunning pee into Tarantino. That was amazing, Daniel. I yeah, applaud thank you. you. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so actually, Chad, wouldn't it be more fun if you told everyone what I think about Tarantino? No, I don't think so because then it'll just make me angry as I say it. And this I want to. I'm part trying of the fun. I'm trying to. This trying is an ice breaking exercise. I'm trying to be calm tonight because I already knew. I was like, well, this is going to go poorly. I imagine. So I just, you know, I'm trying to be zen about it all. I'm trying to be like the '60s. You know what I'm saying? Little. <laughs> calmer so go ahead josh just tell us what you think okay uh, i will i will humor you i would say i'm a tarantino fan but more appropriately that is put as i am a pulp fiction fan because i think that quentin tarantino has essentially made one maybe one and a half movies his entire career and it was good and it was pulp fiction 
and he keeps trying to recreate Pulp Fiction in different ways and keeps failing in different ways throughout the rest of his filmography. There, there are little, little hits here and there, little moments that make his other movies enjoyable for short periods of time, but the rest of them, the rest of the movies are just mostly wastes of time. And so that is, that's how I feel about the, the catalog as a whole. Now, Reservoir Dogs, which came before Pulp Fiction, was also good in different ways. But I need to, I actually need to rewatch that one because I don't remember it as clearly as I would like to. Um, but the rest of them, Tarantino has a couple of style points that he just cannot help himself with. And they, for me, they end up ruining what he's trying to do with a lot of the movies. And this is partially because, like Daniel said, uh, he does a lot of homages that are just completely lost on me. So I will freely admit that. But the rest of it is that he, he can't come up with anything other than homage and these things that he is now known for and that he can't get away from. And so that's my relationship to, to it as a whole. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason why I ended up at the theater... Um, this time is that you can you can thank my wife for me being on this episode it was our 10th anniversary and we decided to go out to dinner and watch a movie which is something we never do anymore and then she ended up regretting dragging us to this particular movie and it's not a content issue our first date was there will be blood and (laughs) we both enjoyed that movie they so. both enjoyed that movie, <laughs> and I now mean, we're married. So that's a you solid. Know. I mean, it's a solid building block for a you know a budding relationship. Yeah, I think it's got milkshakes in it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, anyways, the the movie as a whole. Daniel said you could cut out a half hour. I think that's being generous. You could cut out more than a half hour. It's not just that you spend time with these characters. You do that, but it's also you spend time in silent drives with these characters where absolutely nothing happens and nothing advances the plot. It's, it's a little, this movie feels a little like Tarantino meets Tangerine. I don't know whether anyone saw, (laughs) (laughs) I knew at least Chad would enjoy that. No, just in the, in the slice of life sense of things that it's, they're just vignettes. They're just scenes like April said. And so I, I wanted to, I wanted to come after April's review because I wanted to say everything that she said, but a little bit more negatively, but I had to come after Daniel instead and just completely flip things around. This is getting difficult, but all the things that I said about the rest of Tarantino's work essentially for me apply here, except that I will say that I went into this movie, not wanting to hate it. And for the majority of the movie thought, well, the good thing is this isn't, this isn't a stereotypical, stereotypical Tarantino fest. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's not, it doesn't feel like the rest of his movies all the way through. And in a way that was refreshing, but by the same token, this movie is almost three hours long and there's not a story to prop it up with. Mm. There are very good performances. I, like both of you said, I give it to uh, DiCaprio and Brad Pitt and the others in the movie. I, Margot Robbie's character was a little bit strange, but I still mm-hmm. think that was probably a good performance. 
where am I going with this? I don't know. <laughs> but I did not enjoy the movie overall. And we will get to the most annoyed that I was with this movie in the spoiler section. But two thumbs up and a thumbs down for me. <laughs> two Wait, thumbs two, up two and thumbs a thumbs up. down. And two thumbs, thumbs up from down. you two. I was preceded oh, by two people. Oh, I'm sorry. People. I thought you meant yourself. I was like, do you have some kind of weird I, thing we don't know about? I have I a mean, medical condition. No offense to people I with three thumbs, whatever. I have been away from the show for a long time, and it's because I've been in and out of hospitals. <laughs> okay. Okay, so not surprisingly, Josh did not appreciate this film uh, as much as most. I should say this is the largest opening for a Tarantino film. It opened to about $40 million. Uh, it is getting a lot of critical praise. It's about, although it's not universal praise, it's maybe 85% on Rotten Tomatoes, something in that yeah, realm. Some people hail it a masterpiece. Some people don't like it at all. So typical Tarantino, he does polarizing work, there's no doubt. My history with Tarantino is, unlike the, the kids on this podcast, <laughs> uh, I saw Pulp Fiction in the theater. I was a freshman in college. I was two years old. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> thank you very much. And this was a seminal moment for me because I'd never seen anything like that before. The, the construct, the reverence, the sharp dialogue, the cinematography, everything about it— um, really just opened my eyes to the world of cinema in general up to that point I really liked movies certainly I don't know that I'd ever been impacted by a film in such a way where I thought the power of cinematic art could move me in that way even though it wasn't an emotional like teary kind of thing it just blew me away so from that moment forward I've been a huge Tarantino fan he's definitely had some ups and downs I do think he has a few more than one masterpiece level films which we'll talk about when we get into the top three but going into this one I, I knew nothing about the movie other than I'd seen no trailers other than it had something to do with 1969 and the the Manson murders very much like many of you have said it caught me off guard the pace of the movie hmm. it's very content uh, to be leisurely and breezy uh, it's definitely, as Daniel mentioned, it's a hangout movie with these two characters. This movie, more than any film that I have seen of Tarantino's, I think requires a second viewing and really dissecting what he's trying to say and what he's doing. I, I left the, I saw this movie about four hours ago and was frantically just trying to get my head around it, writing notes and, and, and trying to get my thoughts around it because the, the initial impression that this movie makes, I think a lot of people are going to not like it. Uh, I do think it's a little long. I think you can feel the runtime. Mm-hmm. And I think unlike a lot of his other movies where he has made movies that are very consumable by the public, even though they have a very specific point of view, I think this one is a movie that was really made for him. I think he made this movie for himself mm-hmm. and specifically for an era of Hollywood and films that impacted him. And I don't know that he's very concerned about whether a general audience will like it or not. So mm-hmm. let me let me kind of give just a, a brief idea of my my very fresh thoughts, and then we'll jump into spoilers where we can break it down. But there's no doubt, a couple of you have mentioned it, I think the performances in this movie are award-worthy. I think Pitt is 
unbelievable. DiCaprio, yeah. I think this may be my favorite DiCaprio performance ever. I'm not. Wow. I've never mm. been a. I've never been a huge fan of his. I think he's supremely talented, but. I adored him in this movie. There's just so many, there's so many layers to that character and not just the bombastic emotional reactions, but the playing the actor and the artist and the creative is so, so good. And, and I think that Tarantino knows, I think he's, you know, he's used these actors before, but I think it's, it's a it's a meta layer here where he he knows he's dealing with two of kind of the last vestiges of old school movie stars today and he puts them into this film in such a way that they can be who they are we've already mentioned that it has threads that are well worn for Tarantino which is a glimpse into the process of filmmaking he's always very interested in filmmaking he's a film I mean he's essentially a film historian director um, and he's always used homage some people would say imitation you know for much of his work in this film in particular he's constantly cutting to scenes from classic television and film while himself making a version of those movies in 2019 he's literally making a classical style film he loves the films and tv shows specifically from that period of the 50s and 70s this movie is shaped like a western there's no doubt about it from beginning to end it is in the vein of of the western um, and nobody knows the genre of westerns more than tarantino this is this is one of those movies that i think is going to be very polarizing people are going to talk about it and debate it uh, for a long, long time, and I think that that's good. It, it exudes his love of of cinema. I think a key inspiration for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, just down to the name, is probably Sergio Leone's Once Upon a Time in the West from 1968. Now, interestingly enough, that film was also a financial disappointment in its day, but is now considered a masterwork. It was also kind of a valentine to to a movie genre that was happening at a transitional point in American history. And I think that Tarantino has something similar here in mind as well. He clearly clearly loves everything that Sharon Tate represents. I've seen a lot of people say that this is a Manson movie. I don't think it's a Manson movie. I think it's a Sharon Tate movie. Even though she doesn't have a lot to say, I think what she personifies and embodies is that 1916, not sorry, that 1969 that Tarantino idealized as a child, right? I, I read an article uh, where uh, film critic Stephanie, is it, I believe it's Zacharek, asked Tarantino about Tate specifically, and he said she was the keystone of the film, that her mood and habits, a beating heart, the reason exists, the reason this movie exists in the first place, everything builds to her and I can't finish that statement until we can get into spoilers and and I'll circle back on that but I think that overall this film more than your basic Tarantino is expertly crafted to elicit a certain kind of feeling from the audience I think it is we are supposed to feel and I agree with you Josh those a lot of those transitional scenes are hard to bear because it feels so pointless and unlike a lot of his films that are very well known for their soundtracks for their music drops I think this one he uses a lot of those transitions to just kind of put us in the mood of 1969 he constantly is cutting to uh, radio spots from the day and news about Vietnam and just trying to be there's there's a sequence in here which 
these neon signs that have been accurately recreated from 1969 LA there's a, probably a minute and a half of that and I think that just he's trying to layer that sense of realism to put everybody in what it was like to be there overall when I first left the theater I didn't know what to think about mm -hmm. this I mean it's clearly he and this is typical Tarantino he uses violence in his films to riff on the pervasiveness of violence in media he's talking about himself as he often does with movies that deal with human uh, irrelevance. So, I mean, Dalton literally says to a girl in a, a scene that they have before they're shooting a scene one time, in, a scene in the film, where he says, I'm reading a book and it's about becoming more useless every day. That could literally be an underlined thesis for this film. Mm -hmm. It's about becoming more useless, confronting yourself, uh, dealing with where you stand in your life and trying, fighting for relevance again. And so it's a lot of well-worn themes that he's explored, but in a different way for this film. I think the idea that the cornerstone of this entire movie is the relationship between these two characters is, is great. Nobody expected that. No, nobody expected that. And so for me, it's really still working on me a lot, and I've got to see it again, and I need to think about it again. But I do think he is absolutely interested in a lot of things with this movie that on a surface viewing a lot of people aren't going to get now that doesn't make it a good or a bad film I just enjoy films that I really need to think about and I don't think this is like some Tarantino that's just straight homage to a certain kind of genre and it's just his version on that I think that he's actually trying to make his version of a, of a 1969 movie with something to say about the 60s and about that era in Hollywood in particular. So I liked it. I don't love it yet, but I feel like the more that I dig into it, I may get there, but I don't know. We'll see. Got a lot, still got a lot to, a lot to do. You're right. Those are some great themes. I mean, if, if he spent more than two scenes on them, that would make a good movie. Oh, Josh, that's crazy. Yeah, he spent on. entire sections <laughs> of the movie yeah. about that. But again, it doesn't work. His style is off-putting to some. There's no yeah. doubt. There's, there's no doubt because he does, he's very much invested into pop culture and he has this kind of window it's an almost like an old conservative class and when I say conservative I don't mean politically conservative but I mean like conservative from a filmmaking standpoint where he is everything is through that lens for him and it's a throwback to this era when there was order and structure and people knew you know the rules and the hierarchy of how things were supposed to work. So yeah, I think it's. I think it is. I actually think it's very interesting how he approaches that. And I think so much. Uh, we'll dive into it more, but I think so much of the emotion in the film actually comes in the very last few minutes, like the last two or three mm -hmm. minutes in this movie, and that that really elevate it for me and really hit a lot of the themes from earlier in the movie home. Um, in terms of what he thinks about this era and what could have been and things like that. And so, um, yeah, so I, I, I definitely want to get into more of that. But um, I think this might be the most emotional Tarantino movie. Uh, I don't know if anybody feels that. I, it, it's so clearly just full of his love for this era, like we've all said. There's not, uh, like I said, there's not much violence uh, in this movie or, or any of that kind of staples of his filmography. This feels so different other than the homages to film of course and mm -hmm. and the pacing i mean it just feels it feels unique in his filmography to me this is a film that you can only make when you're when you're an established director though cuz i yeah, was wonder i was doubt. thinking like if this was not a tarantino film and this script was out there i don't know if this would have get gotten made or even if it did get made if like 
we would even care about it at all. Yeah, there are very few filmmakers who could make this movie at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I could maybe see a Scorsese version of this. It would be different, obviously. But... Daniel, a, a midlife crisis happens every day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, leave it to Josh to bring the funny. So anything else that you guys want to say before we make our recommendations and jump into spoilers? Th- this is just one of the greatest casts, like, ever mm-hmm. assembled i just think there are so no many doubt amazing actors yes. who have like two minutes of screen time uh i just love this cast i think it's a shoe in for a sag ensemble nomination if not a win um and yeah i just loved even even those two minutes we got to spend with all these with these actors were so worth it i thought the characters were so well written and unique even characters that we we know like bruce lee or some of these other characters were phenomenal um I, I wish that I hadn't watched a trailer for this because a lot of the specifically. The oh Bruce, yeah, Daniel. Yeah, yeah. I know. Uh-huh. I, uh-huh. I know. I, I, I a lot of the Bruce Lee stuff specifically. So some of the best moments were in the trailer, so I kind of do regret mm. that. But uh, yeah, I just love this cast all, all around. Yeah, I'm definitely the the trailer free life is the way to go, people. I don't know why it's taking <laughs> you so long, but let's go around and make our recommendations. We've got the same options that we always do. Do you think people should see this in the theater? Should they screen it when they rent it, can rent it at home? Should they wait until it's streaming on a service they already pay for? Or should they skip it altogether? And let's start with you, April. What do you say? I think it's theater worthy. There's one scene in particular that I think makes the whole film worth seeing. And I will get to that in spoilers. But I'm, I'll am i say theater. I, I enjoyed it enough to see it in theater for sure. Okay. Daniel? Yeah, no doubt. I, I definitely say it's theater worthy. I think... Just, just from a 2019 standpoint, uh, this has been kind of a crappy year overall, and so mm-hmm. if you're gonna if you're gonna spend your money at the theater, this is one that's worth it. It's long, no doubt about it. It's long, and maybe doesn't need to be, but it, I, I, I genuinely think, you know, Chad, you talked about this film being divisive. I actually don't think it's gonna be that divisive. My audience, which was full on a Thursday night, ate this film up. Um, so I actually think this is going to be a film that a lot of people, even people who don't always get down with Tarantino, I think this movie is going to be pretty popular. So I, I think you should see it in theaters, and I think you'll really enjoy it. Yeah, it is hard to resist the performances in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, Josh, you did. So should people see this? What do you think? No, I I said the performances were the bright spot in this movie, actually. Uh, you don't need to see it in the theater. I mean, this is me talking. You don't. Uh, it's, it's not a theater movie. Um, my theater was fairly full on opening night on Saturday, but fairly full mostly of retirees who I don't think knew huh. what they were getting into. Uh, hmm. it was it was an interesting crowd, interesting interesting smells. <laughs> what theater do you go to? <laughs> I went to That's AMC. Like... I'm not an AMC Stubbs or AMC hmm. Pass member, but I went to. The theater that's been three different things down in Chattanooga. Hmm. You will watch it if you're a Tarantino fan, but I think it can wait until the small screen. And I don't even know why we do the rental option. I I guess you can still rent movies digitally. Redbox. Well, we we rent movies on Prime, so it's still an option, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I mean, it'll I be a while till a lot. It's, it'll be a while till it's free. So you can you can rent it on streaming if you're hard up. Otherwise, just wait a couple of years. Okay, just wait a couple of years. Just, Ringing endorsement from patience, Josh. Patience. <laughs> yeah. We don't have enough of that today. 
I agree. Mm-hmm. So this is definitely theater worthy. It is, I think it's the kind of movie that actually almost requires theatrical viewing because if I if you try to watch an almost three hour movie that's a lot of talking at home you're going to get distracted mm, so seeing it in the theater <laughs> will really help you focus on it it's definitely theater worthy in my opinion but like think, think of your bladder you man see it. <laughs> that is true that is true you need to you need to you need to plan that out accordingly mm-hmm. and if you have to go um, there are some driving sections that are like 90 seconds two minutes long that might be the place to go overall it sounds like three of us are positive and one of us is negative so with that let's jump into spoilers for once upon a time in Hollywood the first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club well you look nervous is it the scars you want to know how I got them there's so many places it would never occur to a hawk to hide. However, the reason the Führers brought me off my Alps in Austria and placed me in French cow country today is because it does occur to me. And in the dream, I knew that he was going on ahead. And he's fixing to make a fire somewhere out there in all that dark and all that cold. And I knew that whenever I got there, he'd be there. And then I woke up. How appropriate. We have a Tarantino scene in our spoilers bump, one of the great scenes ever written. So let's start at the end, guys. That's the one thing that is uh, people are talking about here. It's another revisionist history take mm-hmm. from Tarantino. We got that in, in, in Glorious Bastards as well. So let's jump there. Uh, this movie ends with... Uh, the Manson murders not taking place due to a confrontation outside of Rick Dalton's home. We get the home invasion actually at Rick Dalton's place. Dalton and Cliff Booth have a, a, a confrontation with them and they actually kill in Tarantino style, kill the <laughs> invaders. And then the movie ends in a place that I really was unexpected mm-hmm. where we get the next door neighbors coming down and this movie is you know it's kind of like a fairy tale it's intermingling real people and real films with fictional characters and so we get the invitation after uh, Booth has been carried to the hospital and Dalton gets invited up and this is kind of tying a bow on this whole thing at the very beginning where he just w- was one pool party away right from from being in the, the the right film and so in this universe he gets invited up to Sharon Tate and her friends house for the evening where he gets to tell the tale of of how he thwarted these invaders and we we're left with a 1969 where the 60s did not end with these murders but that it was open to uh, a different possibility if you will and, and the credits roll so it was definitely surprised at how mm-hmm. that ending hit what did you guys think i i loved it so much um first of all like i said in my earlier review that that was very unsurprising to me in that i knew based on inglorious bastards the the murders weren't going to happen as expected i i figured sharon tate wasn't gonna be murdered like she was in real life Um, But it's the way that he did it that caught me off guard. Um, Just the whole confrontation at Rick Dalton's house, which was brutal, uh, you know, as as should be expected by a Tarantino movie. Brutal, but also hilarious and some might say deserved. And, but the ending, especially that whole scene you just described of him, of Rick Dalton being invited up to Sharon Tate's home was so unexpectedly just 
charming and lovely and um you know the way he's portrayed Sharon Tate throughout this whole film is almost ethereal almost uh, you know otherworldly which um apparently is the way the people who knew her at that time would describe her so I, apparently that's kind of an accurate way to portray her um just having Rick Dalton be invited into this this uh new new reality according to this film this 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 what if and it was just really lovely and kind of a mm. an homage to or not an homage it was really just kind of a nod to what could have been and mm. so that i didn't i didn't expect that side of things um because it was really sweet so i loved the ending what did you guys think yeah i really liked it too i found it um I was very surprised and definitely not expecting it at all. I definitely, the way the film ended, it was very sweet, but I definitely felt like a sense of melancholy and just sad of, you know, knowing what actually did happen. But in some ways it was kind of nice seeing these awful people where we know what they did in real life just get brutally, like, destroyed um in true tarantino fashion which which was just kind of funny in a way just because it was so calm for the most part throughout the whole film and then it's just it went zero to 60 so fast like okay yep we're this is tarantino land now but yeah no i i really enjoyed the ending a lot um it was probably one of my favorite things about the film i didn't this is kind of a side part but i thought the way he did Sharon Tate's character was very one note and I I guess it was probably intentionally done that way Um, but throughout the whole film she was just kind of like I don't know there was just not really a lot of depth there which bothered me a little bit but I guess with what he was trying to do who knows what he was trying to do but I guess that was what he was supposed to do but anyway that probably didn't make sense (laughs) no I I don't disagree about the character but I I just I definitely think it was intentional, and like I said, yeah. from what I gather, that's kind of how her, her her as a person is described. Which you know, I don't think anybody is as you know pure or whatever as otherworldly as she's kind of portrayed. But mm-hmm. that's what yeah. has been said about her, from what I gather. So, so it didn't bother me at all. I I, I see what you're saying about it being one note. I, I can't disagree. It just didn't bother me. Yeah. And so I disagree just a little bit just from the standpoint of I I think that we obviously don't get a lot of backstory there, but Mm -hmm. I think her character is more symbolic than it is actually um, supposed to be a literal character uh, in the in the story in as much as I think he's clearly using her as kind of the symbol of the 60s. You know, there's there's a famous line that said the night the 60s died. Uh, was with the Manson murders mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't it wasn't like a, a death of the fashion and the design of the 60s more so kind of a loss of the communal guiding ethic that sort of triggered the expansion and free love and all this kind of stuff that then ushered in the birth of kind of this cynicism on a national scale in the 70s and, and beyond and with you know with the ongoing war and all that stuff and I think what Tarantino is doing with her on screen is he's giving her new life to sort of memorialize what she stood for, maybe even somewhat suggesting that maybe we'd be in a better world if what she embodied, which was kind of this openness, hopefulness, peacefulness. You know, you see her mm-hmm. picking up a hippie on the side of the road and just laughing and, and doing it 
um, out of the goodness of her heart. When if you if you walk this out to your, its logical conclusion, in reality, the the hippiness, quote unquote, that she stood for was sort of analogous to, on paper anyway, to what Charlie Manson and his people kind of stood for, kind of the anti-establishment freedom to do whatever you want. Uh, but you get the contrast between those two worldviews, and I think he's holding her up as this example of peacefulness, equality, you know, anti-establishment thought, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. By keeping her alive at the end, he keeps her away from the Manson family where she doesn't even encounter them at all. She doesn't ever encounter fear. She's never put through really anything in this film, and I think that's intentional as her uh, being held up as a symbol. Yeah. Uh, I read somewhere that her sister in real life was um, brought to set and actually let uh, Margot Robbie use some of her jewelry and that the family has embraced this portrayal of her and said that in as much as this could be real, quote unquote, that it really did embody kind of her character and her spirit. I think he's clearly using her as a symbol, not just for who she was and what it represented, but the whole thing with the era of the 60s. And then level two of that is what we talked about earlier with his through the lens of the film and TV shows of the 60s and what that era also represented there. So I think that's all I think that's all fairly intentional, although she certainly doesn't have a lot to say or do. I think what she does is vitally important and is the centerpiece of the heart of the movie for me. Very well said, and I very much agree. Yeah, I I see what you're saying, and I think hearing that perspective makes me appreciate it a little more. I just, I don't know, I'm not convinced that it, fully does what he intended to do just with the, how if the he, whole movie is um yeah, yeah if you if you don't know the backstory she comes off as as a bit of an airhead in this movie is there anybody that doesn't know the backstory i had no idea <laughs> <laughs> no, i mean okay, i knew i knew a that's little fair. bit but i didn't know enough i i mean i knew that she was murdered by charles Man- the manson people uh but i didn't that was about the extent of it. That I yeah, I, I think it's a fair complaint uh, from you, Josh, like saying if you don't know the backstory. I, I really do think that's fair, but I think that's kind of stands for this the entire point of the movie, right? Of this whole movie is an homage to this, to, to this era of film and, and earlier, and mm-hmm. it's an homage to that century exactly like – or th- to that decade, I should say uh, – exactly like Chad was saying – this whole movie stands as just a, a love letter to that era. And so if you don't know that era very well, or at least uh, as it pertains to pop culture and film or the Manson murders and Sharon Tate, then, then I think the movie as a whole just isn't for you, I guess, if, if I can say that. Mm-hmm. So, but, but I think, you know, I, I said that my audience ate this movie up and I'm sure there were people in there who didn't, didn't know the backstory but i think the, i think tarantino compensates on the other side of it by making it just a really accessible film uh, on the other side of it it's just funny it's a really funny film whether mm-hmm. you know the backstory or not and so i think True. there's a lot to laugh at there's a lot to enjoy uh, because of good performances and good writing on top of everything that it represents for this area of filmmaking so um so yeah, yeah. I, again I, I don't disagree with the complaint there but i just think it kind of is like well you know, it just it that's the whole point of the movie. Yeah, well I, I feel like on the contrary, I feel like your connection to film and your connection to these homages 
enhances the rest of those things that you mentioned. Agreed, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. It, well, <laughs> okay, yes. Enhances, <laughs> but makes them seem more worthwhile than they actually are on their own. Uh, because as someone without those connections, I look for, I look for story in a movie. I was, I was, part of me was hoping that this movie was actually going to be some sort of exploration of Rick Dalton dealing with his growing irrelevance, and it wasn't that. There was there was no two or three scenes of that maybe, and then the rest of it was just this pointless jaunt through the '60s, which is fine if that's what you're there for. You say that it's not an exploration. I totally disagree with that. I don't disagree with that there's not much of a story. I, I That's what I said in my review. There isn't much yeah. of a like beat-by-beat beat plot of trying to accomplish something or, or whatever. But, but uh, I think because it doesn't have a story, it's pretty much only an exploration of those things, of Rick Dalton's uh, aging and, and newfound irrelevance and, uh, and various things. So... Yeah, there's not much of a story. That I totally agree with. And that's just a matter of, do you like a film that does that or not? Because it is it is very different. Um, but I definitely Yeah, and saying there's things. only two or three scenes that explore yeah. that. There are two or three masterful scenes yeah. that explore that. And beyond that, the idea that it's a meaningless exploration of the 60s. Well, meaningless to who? It was certainly meaningful to me. But I do think... Unlike some of his other work, I do think he is specifically and intentionally trying to say something about that era while making an entry into this this genre of film that is not made anymore, this kind of classical style. So I think I, I agree with you, Josh, that if you don't speak the language of cinema or have a, a strong grasp of some of the things that he is ripping off, then it will have less of an impact. I don't think there's any doubt that that's true. And I almost would go as far as what Daniel said earlier, which is maybe this not is maybe this movie is not for you, um, which harkens back to what I was saying is that I don't think Tarantino is necessarily interested as much anymore in making film mm-hmm. for everybody as much as he is making films for himself. Yeah. Uh, and I'm I'm on board with that. I'm on board yeah. with that. If we're going to get this, then especially you know, one of the things we haven't mentioned is this this summer has been dreadful as far as movies, oh, I think. Yeah, for sure. And this is going to be the last original movie that we get for a while. Um, there are only two or three original films that were released this summer. Now, of course, there have been ancillary smaller films, but I yearn for this kind of experience yeah. mm-hmm. as opposed to just more regurgitation of sequels and remakes. And I wasn't able to be on the show when you guys talked about The Lion King and all this other stuff. But I'll take a movie like this every day of the week compared to that other stuff. So mm-hmm. for that, at least, even on that level, I'm grateful that this movie is out there. Yep, totally yeah. agree. April, you mentioned that you wanted you mentioned that there was a favorite scene of yes. yours that you thought was worth the price of admission. Oh, I'd right. love to hear about that. Yes. Okay. I don't know if you guys thought this was as brilliant as I did, but the whole scene where Brad Pitt goes to the Manson ranch with the colt and he's like, Is George there? Is George not there? Is he sleeping? Is he not sleeping? Is he dead? Or his eyes poked out? Like I thought that whole scene was just hilarious and amazing like the entire time i just i could rewatch that scene over and over again yeah it was a great balance of tones because it was really funny but it was also really tense too yes and Um, eerie and yeah i actually i wish there was more of the cult um in it 
because I, I find cults fascinating and right. I feel like they touched on it and I thought that scene was amazing. I wish there was a little bit more of that and less of some of the other stuff, but... Um, well, it also does yeah. a good job of, of, you know, towards the end of that scene as he's trying to leave, it also does a good job of showing how they're just scary on the surface and then when you kind of get a little a little deeper, they're just idiot people who are teenagers who are way more gullible than yeah. than uh, they needed to be. And so, uh, you know, when, when Pitt beats the crap out of that one guy who slashes tires, I mean, that was great. That mm-hmm. was great. Yeah. I think this is my, probably, I know, Chad, you said this was your favorite, maybe your favorite Leonardo performance. I think this might be my favorite Brad Pitt performance that oh, I've sure. seen of his. I really hope that this wins him. Uh, an, an acting Oscar. He's already won Best Picture yeah. for Twelve Years a Slave, but I, I hope that he can win an acting Oscar too. And this might be his ticket. Yeah, agreed. If, if you like Brad Maybe. Pitt in this, April, have you seen Snatch? Yes, I have seen Snatch. Okay, just checking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so that sums up our thoughts on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, if you agree or disagree with our takes, make sure to message us on social media and let us know how wrong Josh is. We look forward to that. Or if you think we're wrong, let us know, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it on the air. But with that now, let's talk about our favorite films of Quentin Tarantino in our top three. Three. Two, one, the top three. All right, everyone, for our top three this evening, like Chad said, we are diving into our Tarantino top three. What are our top three Tarantino movies? Uh, There are only ten to choose from, and uh, so it's going to be kind of a a different top three for us this evening. We're going to go ahead and go around and give our full top three and kind of tell me why that's your top three. What about those three films you love? And then we'll kind of discuss from there. All right, so with that, we're going to go with the person who loves Tarantino most of all, Josh. What are your top three? You kind of already told us at least your top two. Uh, what are your top three Tarantino movies? Well, you took away all the all the drama of my reveal here, but my number three <laughs> is Pulp Fiction. My number two Whoa. is Pulp Fiction. Oh, boo. And my number oh, one boo. is also Pulp Fiction. Boo. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, so, Do we uh, have to listen to him explain that? <laughs> <laughs> He's only I, I, I could pick movie. other movies. Number three would be Inglorious Bastards because Nazis and killing Nazis. <laughs> number two, Reservoir Dogs. And number one, Pulp Fiction. There you go. All right. Fair enough. Uh, okay, Chad, let's hear from you. What's your top three Tarantino? My number three is also Pulp Fiction. I love Pulp Fiction. I still think it stands up. My number two, I do think Kill Bill 1 and 2 can be one movie. But it would be Kill Bill Volume 2, which is a masterpiece. And then my number one, and it's not even close, is Inglorious Bastards. That film mm-hmm. is literally a masterpiece. It is perfect. And, I mean, that is filmmaking on an entirely different level. And I love it with all of my heart. It is magnificent. So that's, that's my top three. Very good. Uh, and April, what is your top three? Okay, I feel like I have to preface this, and y'all will probably hate me, but I actually have never seen Pulp Fiction, Whoa. and I need what? to. I know, it's ridiculous. Homework. You're right. I do, in fact, now hate you. I know, Homework. you should. Yeah, I, I hate myself. I haven't seen it. Um, and I've only seen one of the Kill Bills. So, <laughs> what? I know. That's I forgivable. Know. But it's what? only one movie. Wow. So I've seen I, half of it. Then. So listen, when I first saw Kill Bill, it was before I really watched anything gory, and so I was like, eh. 
not into it. This is like pre like Renaissance era of film for me. Um, anyway, that's beside the point. So I know that this is not, I haven't seen all of them. <laughs> Just prefacing. I'm being honest sure. here. Well, volume two is a lot less than volume one as far as just murder count so if that helps well i would be fine with it now it was it was like young april was not cool with the blood back in the day anyway yeah little april okay so my top three having said that is number three is reservoir dogs number Mm -hmm. two is django unchained and then number one is inglorious bastards yeah it is yeah. Very good, very good. And my good number, th- my number three is uh, well. First of all, to preface it just just very slightly, there's a few of these that I haven't watched in quite some time. Specifically, Kill Bill one and two. I, I just haven't watched those in maybe ten years. Um, so I really, oh man, I really need you to need to revisit again. Volume two. I'm telling you, it's mono- yeah. it's unbelievable. I keep meaning to. I just rewatched Jackie Brown for the first time in like ten years last night, uh, just to kind of get a refresher on that but uh but yeah so so anyway here's my top three number three is Django Unchained so stylish really really enjoyable uh Pulp Fiction defining film it's it's a modern classic so well crafted and uh, so influential and then number one obviously obviously number one is Inglorious Bastards yes Yes, it it is is. Chad's exactly right I wrote the exact same thing down it is a genuine masterpiece I mean that Mm -hmm. movie is is one of my favorite films of all time Um, I I wish so bad that this had won Best Picture in 2009 I I love The Hurt Locker don't get me wrong but uh, Mm. this would have been such a great Best Picture winner and Mm -hmm. and now I don't think Tarantino's gonna actually do it again unfortunately uh, that is win Best Picture so I wish that had won but uh, yeah it's, it's a phenomenal film phenomenal so uh so we have very similar top threes at, at least yeah. at least three of us do <laughs> um uh with the inglorious bastards made all of our lists um, yep so i'll good. just have yeah. to rewatch thus, it i guess and thus ends the shortest top three in the history of the screeners but we're all in agreement we're all in agreement i mean it's really simple i mean i mean he's he's only made 10 films he's quote unquote gonna make one more um but it yeah it, i i I Go still ahead. think we should tell the people why this top three was so short. I do too, Josh. That's a fair <laughs> point. Daniel, as host tell of this why. segment, I'd like to know why we're doing this so quickly. Would you mind sharing with the audience Look, at home, please? Um, because Chad was late. We we started 40 no. minutes late. That's the main reason. <laughs> that's that's accurate. That's yeah. accurate. That's not, yeah, but that's right. But so I still don't quite understand why you're uh, why you're leaving. Look, I've already admitted this on the podcast, so I'm 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 only mostly ashamed um that the the finale of the bachelorette starts in four minutes oh wow and here i am still on the podcast how am i gonna know who hannah picks this is a disaster hashtag daniel's part of the problem (laughs) yes i i i am it's true actually i am part of the problem (sighs) but sad this tarantino top three was still worth it even if it was brief, uh, I think we dug into a lot of our love of Tarantino earlier in the show anyway. So there you have the screeners top three Tarantino. Definitively the best Tarantino movie is Inglorious Bastards. I think we can all agree on that. Here, here. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone, for this review of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we can't wait for next week, or maybe we can wait, for our review of Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. We'll see you then. And that's a wrap. You've heard what the screeners had to say. Now you be the critic. Head over to screenerspodcast.com and let us know what you think. See you next time. <laughs>